Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Today I want to talk about how to be rich. But when I say rich, I mean rich God's way. And it all does flow out of a generous heart, not having a greedy heart, but a heart like God's heart, which is always so generous. See, a greedy heart might want to be rich. In fact, a greedy heart might get you too rich, but not rich the way that God describes it, because this is not to do so much with what you have, but with what you do with what you have. And right at the start, I just want to say this. There's nothing wrong with being rich in and of itself. I know that because the Bible says God is rich. Yes, it says he's rich in love and rich in mercy. God is rich in glory and rich in grace. And he loves to spend all of that on his children. But not only that, God is actually the richest person in the whole universe. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Psalm 50 says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills. Because Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it. So if being rich was necessarily bad, then God would necessarily be the very worst because he owns everything. And one day we need to remember, he'll come back, he'll take it back. But the good news is he has a generous heart and he's coming back to reward us for looking after his stuff well. And he's a generous God. So he loves to share with us. And he shared a lot with you and me when we start to think about it. As Pete was just saying, when we become grateful for that. And he wants to share even more with us. So that's my focus now. And I want us to read what he says about how that happens through the words of the Apostle Paul and what he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul's telling Timothy what to say to the people in this church at Ephesus. But I want to show how it applies to you and to me too when it says the following. Command those who are rich in this world, this present age, literally the age we live in now, command them not to be angry, sorry, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everything we've ever enjoyed, it comes from him. Now, he's, he's warning them against putting their hope in, in wealth. Remember this, he says it's a very slippery slope. So, command them to do good, to be rich, In what? Good deeds. Rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, this is how to be rich God's way. They will lay up treasure for who? For themselves. Not for God, for themselves. As a firm foundation for the coming age, the age, the time when Jesus Christ returns and the kingdom comes, when the the skies open and heaven comes to earth so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, everlasting life. Not just the good life for now, but the everlasting life that is the best forever and ever. Now, when we read words like that, command those who are rich in the world, this world, this present age, lots of us are going to think about other people. We're going to think about Jeff Bezos. We're going to think about maybe Richard Branson or Elon Musk or some some billionaires or somebody who's like dodging tax, putting it all in offshore accounts. And we're going to say, yeah, yeah, those people are rich and they ought to share. They ought to share with me. They ought to share with other people. They ought to share with the poor. But the Bible wouldn't put a figure on rich or poor. It wouldn't even put a dividing line 
between the two of them. I wish it was that easy in some way. It wouldn't talk about those two camps. In fact, in some ways, it would talk about kind of three camps. It's somebody who needs help because they do not have enough. That's the poor. Somebody who needs help because they don't have enough. The UN defined poverty now as not being able to afford the basics of life. Things like food and shelter and clothing. That's it. That's the poor. Extreme poverty was declining We were kind of beating it in the world. But COVID-19 is expected to add another 150 million people to the total in this next year, bringing the total to 720 million people who live on less than £1.40 a day. To put that in perspective, half the world lives on less than £4 a day. And the average person in Britain earns £84 a day. So again, you might earn more or less. That's why they call it an average. But there are the poor. And then there's somebody with enough. Enough to survive if they can learn to be content. And somebody with extra. And that's rich. And they can do a lot. See, I don't know where you'd put yourself on that. But I was on a call with Rick Warren in the week. Prince Charles always told me not to name drop, but there you go. And he said... There's a phrase going around, maybe you've seen it, about the pandemic that says this, we are all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And Rick Warren went on to say that there's some of us, people like me, yeah, we've been through a rough time this year in a yacht. See, there's a storm going on, but I get to work from home, miss people, seeing people, I meet on Wi-Fi. But really, I've not been affected that much. not been affected economically, for instance. And I can't compare my storm, the storm that I've gone through, with somebody in a rowing boat just trying to get through it somehow. And and the water's coming in. And then there's some people who are out in the storm just hanging on to a piece of driftwood somehow. And there will be a lot, lot more of them in the months and years ahead, won't there? And they are the ones that we have to focus on if we're going to have a heart like God's. They're the people we have to mobilise most of our efforts, most of our help towards, because we are all in a storm, but we're not all in the same boat. So which category do you fall into today? The poor who need help, and those who are content with what they've got, and they can help the poor, and the rich could help a lot But most of the time, like you probably, I rule myself out of rich because I compare up. I think about Lewis Hamilton. I think about Gary Lineker. And I point the finger at them and I say, yeah, you're rich. I'm not rich. You are. I don't compare down. I don't look down and compare myself to the 80,000 children living below the breadline right now in Greater Manchester. Or lower than that even, to the, the children that I think about when I, they want to sponsor in Haiti through compassion. Or, or remember walking through their villages and the way that they live. Or, or again, go back in my mind to the open arms village in Kenya that I visited just a couple of years ago. And the children there, or that conversation that I had with my dear friend Pastor Tobias in Mombasa, who took nearly a month left his family just to serve me and drive me around. For two, and, and, he, and generously, after I spoke at his church, he, he gave me this to say thank you. And when, when he was driving me to the airport, I said, what a nice car he had. I was surprised how nice his car was. And he said, yeah, it goes back today. You see, he'd hired it for me. And he, he left the, uh, the car at the airport and he crammed on a bus 
to come back. I mean, I remember that he was driving along, we passed the end of his street on the way, and when I asked him if he liked living where he did, he said, yeah, I really do, but one day I hope that my wife and daughters might live somewhere where there's running water. I'm rich in this present age. Who am I trying to kid? And God loves me enough to warn me how dangerous that is potentially for my soul. He commands me, don't put your hope in riches. They're so uncertain. See, he's saying, it's okay to have riches. I shouldn't feel guilty, but I should feel grateful. It's okay to have riches and hope. But God says, never, ever, ever put your hope in riches because when the money goes, your hope will too. And the richer you get, the more you can fall for this dangerous, dangerous trap. Because no amount of money can actually give you hope that is certain for all life circumstances. The economy always goes up and down. There's certainly another storm, and we've only just started to see the clouds gathering of when that starts to break. But even with that, in this country, when I start to compare with most people in the world, it should stop me worrying about myself and how am I going to get by and how am I even going to be rich in the future. But to see, I already am. We were either born rich or we became rich a long time ago. We're living in the sixth largest economy in the world by GDP. But one of the 20 richest nations in the world at the richest time of history. So what do we do with that? If our mindset is just that we need to look after ourselves and we need to be rich to ourselves. Well, one example as a nation, if that's the way you think, would be you would increase your spending on the military by 16.5 billion pounds in the same week week that you would cut the percentage of foreign aid that we give, which we've already engineered most of it so it only goes to our friends and those who support the things we like. Because in hard times like this, of course, we have to make very tough decisions. So how can we be expected to carry on giving more than half a pence out of the pound to the poor. Are you rich? See, if, if you could read that Bible passage, you're automatically rich by global standards. Not just because you have education and access to books, but the freedom to be able to do so, and especially to read the Bible. The tech most of us are watching this on it makes us so much re- richer than we realise. 40% of people in the world still have no means of connecting to the internet. I'm rich in this world. Bad signal, rich people problem. Too many devices for the Wi-Fi in your house. Computer crashes, rich people problems. Internet shopping, late delivery, rich people problem. Think how rich we are in this present world. Even now, despite all the fear and the doom and the gloom that keeps us focused and fearful on what we don't have or what we might lose. Research on life expectancy, global well-being, education and extreme poverty is all really good news for the average person alive right now in the West. Yes, even in 2020. See, I'm not going to compare. We won't compare with Victorian England where half of children in this city died before the age of five. Or even 100 years ago, when just after 20 million died in World War I, 500 million Europeans were infected with the Spanish flu. One third of the world's population and 50 million died from that. 
But even if we compared with the average person in the mid-1950s, we're earning now three times as much money. We're eating a third more calories of better food. We're burying a third less of our children. We're far less likely to die violently or by natural disaster or through floods, famine, typhoid, measles, malaria, smallpox, TB, cancer or heart disease. Only 15% of Brits owned a car then. Only 10% had a fridge. And there was little central heating. It wasn't that long ago. See, I'm rich in this world right now. Yes, some are rich-er. There's always an er, but I'm rich. It's not something, as I said, to feel guilty about, but I really should be grateful for it. And Paul is writing to Timothy, who is mentoring, a young leader in, uh, of churches in, uh, in Ephesus. It was a modern-day modern uh, Turkey. It, it, uh, you can, it's on the coast. It's a postal city. It's a, sorry, sorry, it's a port city. It's the wealthiest trading place in the whole of the Mediterranean at the time. So they did have some wealthy people who were living there. And he says, Timothy, many of the people in your churches, their problem is not what they don't have. Their problem is what they do have. And God wants you, faithfully, as a minister of the gospel, to prepare them for the dangers that they face. Because it is having money can make you arrogant. As if you're better or more deserving of it than other people. That's a big problem. And even worse, Timothy, he says, money can become their source of hope. But it's just not secure enough to ever do that with. And again, this is a really good diagnostic for whether you are rich or whether you are poor. Because poor people are not tempted to put their hope in riches. They usually know first or second hand how quickly it can let you down and run out. So he says, command those who are rich in this present age, this, this world right now. The Bible wouldn't say we're rich when we have everything that we need because we can always think of something else we need, can't we? Christmas is coming it, and it's a moving target. But when we think like that, our natural assumption is that we, I get more so it's for me. I get more blessing, so it's for my consumption, my enjoyment. Like the foolish farmer in the story that Jesus taught, who just kept building bigger, bigger barns for himself when the blessings come. He said, where am I going to store it all? Forgetting that at some unexpected point, and it's always unexpected, he would leave it all behind. Jesus said, that's what happens for everyone. Everyone who's rich towards themselves, but not rich toward God. So notice again here, two things to avoid. He says, don't be arrogant or put your hope in wealth. Avoid that at all costs. And five things to do to offset the dangers. See, I've met some very wealthy people who are also very rich God's way, by the, by the way. And the reason that they do it is because they, they kind of follow this step-by-step -step plan that is laid out here. He says, put your hope in God. Trust him. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. The word rich there means plenty. Do plenty of good deeds. Don't just do one or two. And be generous. A generous heart. Motive matters. And finally, be willing to share. I wish it had gone, do, be, do, be, do, like Frank Sinatra, but you can't have everything. Instead, I'll say this so that you, hopefully you can remember. I will not trust in riches, but in God who richly provides. Why don't you say that out loud where you are? Write it down somewhere. Say it in this week. I will not trust in riches, but in God who richly provides. That 
kind of mantra, I suppose, can really help us and change our hearts as we apply biblical truths in our lives. And yeah, we talk about money at this time of year at Ivy, just about every year, because you know what? Everybody else is. There will be incredible pressure on you right now and in the weeks ahead to rush out as soon as the shops get open again, all the shops, go and spend everything and then run back to your house again and shut the door for Christmas. But we always say, rein it in at Christmas so you can give it in in the new year. And guess what Ivy people do? Every year, our first fruits offering is added up to hundreds of thousands of pounds that Ivy's given away or used for imaginative new projects. And, and it's people give this at the beginning of the year, at the end of January. We take this in and receive it. And people are saying, God, I'm putting you first at the beginning of this year. I will trust you this year, Lord, and I want to be rich toward you. The reason we can do that is this, because we know what Christmas is all about. So we don't need five of them or 10 more of them. We just need more of him. That's our Christmas, more and more of him. And there's an inexhaustible supply of God. See, in some churches, they're going to teach you, you should give so you can be blessed. No, the Bible says, give because you're already blessed. God bless me so I bless others in turn and everybody benefits. The problem comes when we become a bucket instead of a hose pipe. See, God blesses and we want it. We want to be rich. We want to be rich towards ourselves. We want to raise our lifestyle, our spending, our debts because we get a better rating now to be able to get more debts. God blesses and there's a sale on. So I want to fill this up so I can go and get something good rather than do somebody or something good. See, if I'm a bucket, not a hose pipe, that's the difference. See, God wants to be so connected to me that he can bless through me. But if I want it all for me, it can't flow. The fact is, if I can live like this, he will not turn the tap off. Hold that picture of a hose pipe or a bucket in your mind as we read this astonishing promise that God made in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. said this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. It's a heart matter. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then he goes on and says something quite incredible. You know, if this wasn't in the Bible, if I was just saying this, you'd say you're mad. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, notice all those alls, not all you, not all you want, by the way, all you need, so that you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he's quoting the Old Testament, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Then it goes on. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase. Say increase. Increase your store of seed and will enlarge. Say enlarge. Enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched. You will be rich in every way. So that, oh, pause there. See, greed wants me to ask, ooh, why haven't I got more? But this tells me why God has given me so much. You will be enriched, he says, in every way. Why? 
so you can be rich towards yourself, so you can save more, so you can put more into your pension so that you can have a bigger, nicer, better. No! So that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. When God gives us anything, he also gives us options together with it of what we're going to do with it. You can be generous. There's no compulsion. But when he blesses me, remember, this is a test, a test of what matters most to me. This present age that will all pass away or God's kingdom that will last forever. It's the only thing that lasts forever. Do you remember the first lockdown? Of course you do. We all do. Banks suddenly closed one day. I was, I was standing at Timpson's with a note in my hand, 20 quid, and the guy said, sorry, we've been told we can't accept cash. And this verse about the uncertainty of riches flashed through my mind in that moment. See, I like cash. Cash is good because when I spend it, I know I got less. It hurts a bit to pay in cash. It kind of shrank because I bought something and that can make me think twice. But cash is worthless if they won't take it. When it's all electronic... I stood there and I thought, imagine if my hope was thousands of notes in a shoebox under the bed. And then they say, it's just paper. I haven't, in case you're watching, anybody watching, especially if you're a burglar, I haven't got such a box under the bed. But how much regret would I feel if in that moment I find that the thing that I put my trust in was worthless and gone? How foolish would I feel? Trying to hold it all in my bucket but the bucket's leaking it's got a hole in it years ago we were in former Yugoslavia just before the war and you had to change your money every single day because what you got yesterday was worthless the next day unbelievable what you have in this world you see is only worth what the world says it is worth today In 1922, post-war Germany borrowed into bankruptcy and to clear the debts they took the savings And they devalued the currency, hyperinflation. It's one reason Angela Merkel's government are not pursuing the same path of economic stimulus as we are. Germany remembers the mark and the the day the mark collapsed, the time when that happened. The more they printed, the less it was worth. The worst hits were the people who had the most savings. Can you imagine? That's all your security in this world. A loaf of bread cost half a dollar which was now two trillion marks. People collected their wages in wheelbarrows or demanded to be paid in sausages and eggs instead. One man had a suitcase full of money and they stole the case and left the money. People, you can see pictures of this on the internet, kids playing with money, just piles of it, like Monopoly. People papered the walls with money because it was cheaper than buying wallpaper. Savings, of course, didn't increase with prices. So if you had 500 marks in the bank at the start of the year, which would have been quite a lot, you had the same amount at the end and now it was worth nothing. Then they reset the whole economy with a new currency. See, it isn't just conspiracy theorists who are talking about an economic reset. At the World Economic Forum this year, Prince Charles hailed its necessity for a more just and sustainable world. And whatever that ends up looking like, I just remember there standing at Simpsons with 20 quid in my hand that I couldn't spend. And I thought, imagine if 
all that you'd saved, everything you'd hoarded, everything that you'd put your trust in was one day worthless. Imagine if one day it's no good to you at all. All those things you've worked for and saved for and hoped in. Listen, there is no if. This week, I took my lovely auntie's funeral. I took her husband's just a couple of months ago. And funerals, they always remind me. And I think now, in our, we're probably more aware of this in my lifetime than we've ever been before. Certainly more aware than we want to be, that it will happen one day when I kick the bucket. I got an email yesterday from HSBC with the subject line, do you have a what if plan? It was all about life insurance, which of course is death insurance. And they were asking the wrong question because it's not what if, it's when. Death is not a what if for any of us. It's a when and none of us know the answer, which is why Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves because you can't keep them. Treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But the smart money says, store up, not for God. It's not for God. God's doing okay. He's not worried. He doesn't need anything. Thank you. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, now this is the point, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in our year of focus, where's yours? Has your heart shifted at all this year? Is your heart still set on here where moths eat the cashmere, rust corrodes the coins, where thieves steal, fires burn, governments take, investments tank, so no earthly treasure is safe. See, wise financial planners will always say, take the long view. Don't just think about what the Chancellor said or the predictions of what might happen next year. They say budget and plan and save in terms of decades, not days. That's how the wealthy think in this world. But those who are rich God's way think even further ahead. They don't overvalue what will never last. They don't just think about retirement income, they think about rewards for infinity. Remember hearing years ago, Artie Kendall tell a story about a wealthy guy who, who used to tithe to his church and give generously and then his business collapsed and they came to him and they said, you know, you had millions and, and you've lost it all now, it's all gone and how do you feel, don't you feel stupid about that money that you gave to your church and that you gave to charity? You know, you've lost all of the, everything and he said, no, 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 you don't understand, you see, I lost all of that but I keep all of this. Everything that I gave to God is safe with him. In Mark chapter 10, it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man, we, later, we hear of him being called the rich young ruler, came running up to him. Kneeling down in front of him, he cried out, good teacher, what one thing am I required to do to get eternal life? See, he says he's thinking about forever here. And you have to understand this guy was a go-getter. That's how he got what he'd got so far. Rich in this world, in this present age, but maybe he'd lost somebody. Or maybe he'd had a health scare himself because those are the moments, if we'll seize them, when we start to think differently. And he realised, you can't take it with you when you go. And he's looking for a better investment. So he comes for some insider information from Jesus. Verse 18 says, Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You already know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not cheat, honour your father and mother. The man said to Jesus, teacher, I've carefully obeyed these laws since my youth. I'm like, I'm one of the good guys. 
Now notice, Jesus hasn't asked him about the worship commandments, about the heart stuff, about how God is the only Lord, having no other gods or idols before him. The guy's saying, you know, I am good. So Jesus responds by saying, okay, you think you're good? Do good. Verse 21, Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love and said to him, yet there's still one thing you lack. Really? The, the man who has everything, what's he missing? Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. By the way, notice this. It doesn't say give it all to the poor. Just sell it all and give. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Open an account there and put a lot in. After that, come back and walk with me. See, now what does he do with what he's told? Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned away, walked away, very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at the faces of his disciples and said, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter into God's kingdom realm. Now, when I read that, I put myself in that position. I imagine what I'd be like to be that young man. And it does make me think about what idols I've put before God. Where's my treasure? Where's my focus? Where's, you know, what would I do if Jesus came and, and told me to cash out and go all in for what he says again for him now we've done that a few times before and just last week Zoe and I prayed again together as honestly as we could Lord we will go anywhere and we'll do anything for you we're not holding on to anything in this life take it all as long as we've got you you're number one but it's harder when you have more in this world I think that's what Jesus was saying and the question to resolve is what kingdom do I really want to be rich in Jim Elliot was 28 when he died, taking the gospel to a tribe who'd never heard of it. But he wrote in his gospel, sorry, in his journal, the, fa the famous words that he lived by. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, the rich young ruler had that the wrong way around. He had plenty that he couldn't keep in the earthly account. But when Jesus checked his heavenly balance, he said, uh-oh, you came here asking about what's going to last forever. Well, you need to switch accounts, mate. The heavenly account in your name does not look good at all. You are sadly lacking. In the light of the future, change your strategy today. Liquidize those depreciating assets that you can never keep and invest where you can never lose. What would you do? He refused. He walked away. There's no compulsion. He just walked away holding tighter to what he could not keep hold of and what he would lose one day forever. Jesus still loved him because Jesus didn't want anything from him. He wanted something for him. Jesus wanted him to be rich God's way. He wanted to stay rich his own way. And that's why he didn't think he could afford to be generous. How can you be rich if you don't think you can afford to be generous? How can you be rich if you can't do good? What good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Let's pray. Lord, you have been so generous to me. You have provided all things richly for my enjoyment when really I don't deserve a thing. As Christmas gets nearer, above everything else, I want to remember that you gave up everything for me. As scripture said, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. So Lord, help me to not be guilty but grateful. 
Help me not to be arrogant. Help me do a work in my heart by your spirit so that I do not keep putting my trust in riches. Such a vain hope. Father, instead, Lord, I put my hope in you. You are the one who richly provides. You you last and you live forever and you want me to live forever with you too. So show me this week how I can do good. How to be rich in good deeds. To be generous, willing to share so that I can take hold of that life, the only life that is everlasting. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.